Hey everybody, we are trying to figure out technology in this amazing quarantine. It seems like it's ending. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pokolsky. This is the Q&A version where we dive into everything there is to know about living your greatest life and body you love. And I've created this framework that hopefully simplifies how we approach this. And it's the six pillars of a lean, healthy, and muscular body. Those six pillars are movement, training, how you move and train your body. Nutrition is a big piece of that. Obviously, that's another pillar. Sleep is a huge pillar. Mindset and mental mastery is a pillar. Stress is a pillar. And the final pillar that most people overlook is environment. And today we're going to discuss or answer all your questions around the six pillars of lean, healthy, muscular, and body, and really anything you want to know with regard to optimizing body and mind. And for those of you that are new to the podcast, you know, I spent a long time myopically focusing on building a body and I accomplished some cool things and it was fun. And I, you know, I got to where I wanted to go, or at least where I believed I wanted to go and realized there's a lot more to it. And that's why this podcast has come to be. So thank you everyone for being here. I know you have a lot of podcasts that you get to choose from. And the fact that you choose to be here with us, so, so appreciative every moment I wake up and realize the scope of this community that we're creating around intelligently building your body and objectively building your body and ultimately crafting your life. And I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you for being here, Meathead. Thank you. I feel very grateful to be here too and to still be doing this and the crazy times that we're in right now. I got to say, I know that there are people watching this right now, but I can't see any comments. Can you on your side? I tried to take over the reins and be the captain of this ship this time. And I'm not, I'm not it looks sure. Like they're coming through on my side. There isn't Damn any it. comments yet. No, I can't see it on my side. I want to be the one to do the comments, but even, but normally I can see them. All right. Well, you might still have to, I guess, lead that ship, yeah. but just make sure that I read them out so that I can have, you know, we'll figure it out for next time. Contributing first, before we get into any questions, did you work out this morning? Of course. What'd you do? Like body part wise? Yeah, like just what was your workout? Okay, throw me on the spot. My really big focus now is not, you know, I built a lot of muscle, and I think building muscle is something I, I've simplified, and I get it. Like I can build any amount of muscle on any body. I really believe that. But the thing that I usually focus on is figuring out how it's kind of like the kid who breaks his Lego to figure out how put it back together. So I, I intentionally try to find problems within training. I intentionally try to find like things that I don't understand or things that people are kind of common issues and then how to fix it. So I'm trying to craft exercises to fix shoulder mobility. Hmm. So I play with it myself. I play with, it with other people looking at forces and looking at body positions and looking at what what is that cue, that single tip or cue that allows me to start understanding these things at a deeper level. So my workouts are more of a, of a mental workout these days than they are physical. Hmm. I did train hard, but typically what I'll do is I'll do like one working set every three minutes and then and in between, I have two or three play exercises where I'm trying to create more stability or I'm trying to create a new exercise that optimizes spinal mobility or, or hip mobility or you're trying to do something that allows me to kind of expand the way that I look at exercise, right? So most people look at exercise and they look at a gas pedal. They want to put their foot on the gas pedal and put the pedal to the metal and just go harder and harder. At some point in everyone's life, something breaks. And that's effectively where I'm trying to interject is to prevent the breaking. So what are those things we can do concurrently that allow us to ultimately push harder on the gas pedal? If I want to build more muscle, or even if I don't want to push harder on the gas pedal, I want to make sure that my steering is precise, right? I don't want to be able to crash. I want to be crashing into the walls. I want to be super precise with how I move and how I feel. And if I feel this happening, how do I fix it? And if I feel, you know, an example being if I feel my shoulder going up at a bench press or I feel my shoulder going forward, or if I 
you know, I have a butt wink and a bet and a squat, or if I have my ankle hurts or my knee hurts, like how do we first, what causes it? What are the main causes? What are the all, you know, the exhaustive list of causes of all these different things that go on during exercise? And then how do we immediately fix it? So, you know, every day we wake up, there's something, right? There's like, oh, this hurts, that hurts, this is tight, that's tight, this is not, this feels great. And then looking at it kind of objectively and saying, well, how do I improve my ability to create stability, improve this movement. So if we break down exercise to its foundation, there's three things that need to happen, right? You need to have mobility, stability, and skill. That's what I teach at every course. And, uh, you know, we teach not only what those things are, this high level kind of principle-based thought, but now, okay, let's chunk down into that. And okay, like, great, I understand I have to have mobility. Most people, just like exercise, most people think they know what they're doing and they'll say, oh yeah, I understand. I need to work hard. No, like, same thing with mobility. Most people think they just need to stretch. Well, stretching is, is such a small fraction of what actually moves the needle in mobility. So, you know, every time I go to the gym, it's kind of these three overarching principles that I'm addressing. It's mobility, stability, and skill. And ultimately, the fourth one would be strength. If there was a fourth, it's like I need to improve. I need to grade, gradually increase strength. And then as you grade strength, then you have to also the skill and the stability have to scale with it, you know, because obviously if I have the ability, the skill and the stability with 10 pounds, it's a very different example or a very different scenario in my body than if it's 40 pounds. So these are all things that I'm intentionally paying attention to while I train personally. So to come back to answering your question in a more direct way, it was chest, abs, biceps, shoulders, front delts, side delts, rear delts, and traps and some upward rotation and downward rotation of the scapula. So really playing with scapular mobility in all planes, upward rotation, downward rotation, protraction, retraction, really trying to optimize mobility. And all, I will say, all of those have a foundation of spinal mobility and stability that people just disregard. They just assume, oh, that's just there. It's not. Like it's such a huge player in your ability to produce force without pain, your ability to build muscle without injury. So I really spend a lot of time being hyper aware of my spinal position and my spinal stability ultimately. And is it moving? And ultimately, this is a huge one that I hope everyone pays attention to. I ask myself this question every single set. Where does it break? What that means in my mind is why did I stop, right? So if I'm doing an exercise, I'm just standing dumbbell curl and I'm just so internalized. I'm, I'm not paying attention to the dumbbell because the dumbbell is inconsequential to me. I'm paying attention to my inside of my body. And I'm going, okay, my spine, my feet, my pelvis, my abs, my shoulder girdle, my bicep, all these things have my focus and attention. And that's maybe sounds like you're focusing on a lot, but you kind of are. But all you're really trying to do is, okay, what's the thing that's moving that shouldn't be? And that's your limitation. That's your bottleneck. And if you can address that within a set or within a workout, you can then increase your ability to produce more work, right? So that's the thing that stopped me from doing more. So how do I then take that thing and make it stronger? So then that's, so if you realize if like, if I'm training my bicep and a bicep dumbbell curl and something else breaks, something else breaks in the system first, then I'm not training my biceps. I'm training another thing because that thing has gone closer to fatigue or failure. So then I need to realize that's the bottleneck. That's my limitation in building this body part I'm trying to build. So I need to place more attention and focus on those other pieces. And this is kind of foundational. Most people will get this at a, hopefully at a conscious level. I'm trying to bring to the conscious what I do unconsciously, right? So I do all these things just naturally. And a lot of people do at a high level, but to be able to teach it to someone, you have to be like, okay, well, look that like when people come into me and you come to me, actually, you want to learn how to squat or you want to learn how to build your quads. 
I have to be able to tell you the two or three things that you're going to remember mm -hmm. that are the biggest difference makers in exercise. So I not only have to know them unconsciously, I have to be able to consciously articulate them to you in a way that's simple. You can go, holy shit, that's the biggest game changer I've ever had. That's what sets this apart for me, right? That's what sets our ability to teach apart from everybody else is to, is to make the unconscious conscious and applicable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a bunch of things there that I want to break down. So one of them being because you are still getting a lot of questions online, because again, not everybody's looking at every podcast and not everybody's seeing every post. And so you are still getting a lot of questions from people asking what are some things I can do at home with just bands, or I don't have dumbbells, or I don't have heavy enough stuff, or how can I make sure I'm not losing all my muscle sure. while in quarantine? I, I have an answer to that. So guys, for everyone listening to this podcast, I put out a, very, a free two week workout on my page it doesn't doesn't even require an opt in just go to muscle intelligence, Facebook, group apply to be getting it i let everybody in yesterday i think there may be a couple people left i try to send everyone a message that goes into that group myself or one of the group moderators but there's a two-week workout in there and the reason i bring that up is it's not the workout right the workout is very good it's very effective i literally wrote it myself but it's everything else that's in that workout that's the most useful so here's what that is Ben, I don't have any weights at home. How do I make this harder? How do I make this useful? It's like, okay, well, how do I learn to pay attention? That's the foundation. So as I just said, when I was training myself, the most important thing, I'm training my brain more than I'm training my body in that case, right? And so it's very important for everyone listening to realize those two are inseparable. I can't train my body and not train my mind. So I need to make sure that I'm aware of what's going on in my mind while I'm training my body. So I'm super aware of, okay, what am I feeling right now? And my mind is thinking about my body. So I'm like, okay, I feel this. Where do I feel tension? Where do I feel stability? Where do I feel unstable? And how do I improve that? So if I feel something shaking, that's an indication of instability. If I feel something tight, that's an indication of weakness or instability. So I just suggest everyone, regardless of what you're doing, if you're doing a push-up, a sit-up, a squat, a lunge, a deadlift, anything, pay attention, right? Oh, Slow down, pay attention. Okay, but I just want, yeah, so I just wanted to bring this around for people who are asking this question, don't know that this exists. We'll make sure that it's like in your, you know, bio and put it in the newsletter this it's week. Tagged, well. It's tagged to the top of that group too. Yeah, so make sure that people can get access to that. But a couple other things that you touched on that I thought I wanted to kind of expand on a little bit is, you know, you said earlier in the conversation that pretty much everybody is like rehabbing something or has some kind of nagging something or other that they're kind of always either putting on the back burner because they don't want to deal with it or, you know, it's not bad enough yet or whatever. And it kind of seems like this is an ideal time to really actually do the things that you're always espousing in your muscle camps, but a lot of people don't do because they just don't want to because it's not sort of the sexy approach, which well, is no, to like it, slow down hard. and focus on the mobility first. But I mean, that's, yeah. as you said, you got to do it or else. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's, not, it's not just mobility first. It's So the way I advocate training, the reason people don't do it is because it's hard. And most people don't exercise to get better. They exercise to be able to say they exercise. So if you're someone who listens to this podcast and you say, no, man, my objective is I want to get better. And you're not training this way. You're doing it incorrectly. I could say that with 100% certainty. At some point, yes, you want to get to this point of unconscious competence, right? If we walk through kind of all the levels of competency, we want to get to unconscious competence. Most of us are starting at unconscious incompetence, right? We don't know what we don't know. And so moving through kind of those four stages, we're trying to get to unconscious competence, meaning I don't think about it and I do it. Nobody's there yet. Very few people are there yet. High level athletes are obviously there. But how do we work through those levels of, of competency? You know, what that kind of requires is just paying attention. So regardless of what your injury is or what your target is, it starts with paying attention and then trying to make it harder. 
right? So I can do push-ups and make them really, really, really hard. But I have to know that kind of, I guess, objectively or maybe subjectively, does this actually feel like it's creating more work? That's the target that people just miss. So I don't know if that, if you want to go deeper into that question, Ash, but I wanted to kind of clarify that. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm just kind of, again, speaking to the higher level that a lot of people, as we know, we talk about it all the time, try to kind of find their own shortcuts, try to kind of fast track things. And if they're sort of athletic, they're fit already. And they're like, I can just, I know this part's important, but I can kind of skip through it. And if there was ever a time to really kind of take a macro step back and look at What's the best way? Like use this as, an, as a way to maybe start from scratch in some well, ways, right? Speaking to, speaking to the words you just used there, and I hope nobody else is using those words, this is, there's never a time to cut corners, right? It's just yeah. the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And there's never a time to cut corners. And listen, I'm guilty of it sometimes too. You're in a hurry. You got other shit to do. I get it. But learning where to cut corners or where you can cut corners is maybe part of the long-term process. But my suggestion is, and be hyper vigilant and diligent with everything you do. Whether you're training hard in the gym now or whether you're training at home, it doesn't matter. The target is I want to be 100% focused, 100% effort, 100% accuracy of skill. Why would I do anything differently, right? Otherwise, you don't realize how plastic your brain is during a workout. You're taking all these skills and thoughts you're putting into your mind and you're going to bring that into your life. We have to realize that that workout is an opportunity to reshape our brain, reshape the way we think, reshape the way we approach anything. And most importantly of all, creating an identity that reflects the person we want to be, right? This is so important. It's like, who do you identify as? Who am I, right? This is, a, it's funny. My very first business coach I speak about often, or life coach, he made a hat for me and it said, who am I? So every time it was, it was a mirror image. So every time I looked in the mirror, I would say, I could see who am I in the mirror. And it was just this questioning, who do I want? Who am I now? Who do I want to be? And how do I narrow the gap, right? And it's just this idea of habits. It's just habits. So again, this is a big part of what I don't want to speak about today is this idea of, in this exact moment, this moment of hypervigilance, this moment of new levels of awareness and new opportunities to increase consciousness is the greatest opportunity for you to change. Like if you've just moved houses and you're in a new house, now's the time because it's a new environment. You have new triggers and cues and habits being formed in every second. So now's the time to create this new person you want to become. But first, you got to identify what are those habits, skills, and attributes that I want to create and then start moving forward on those. And the simplest, most effective place to start in my eyes is exercise and training. You're there anyways. You're having to be conscious. You're having to pay attention. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. So pay attention and realize what should I be focusing on? Who do I want to become? You can develop anything in that moment, right? You can develop diligence and discipline and focus, or you can develop this mindless squirrel mindset that has a hard time focusing on anything other than Instagram. And that's something people need to acknowledge is what are you thinking about? Is it deep thought or is it superficial? Are you muting it out with music? Or are you allowing yourself to actually think about something? And nothing against music, but it's just an acknowledgement that it is absolutely muting out your ability to consciously think. So unless it's something that maybe helps people go deeper into thought, if you can make it unconscious. This goes yeah, this goes back to another thing you were talking about and you talked about in your last newsletter too, which is this concept of working in as well or in addition to working out and how that's very crucial aspect to it. And you were kind of saying also that your workouts tend to be more sort of mental workouts maybe than physical ones. And I think that's something- They're inseparable, right? Right. And I mean, I think that's something that people maybe, you, we might want to expand on a little bit. Like I think I was telling you this the other day, but I'm doing something kind of similar like every week- 
every weekend because I've created this as like a fun thing because I'm one of those people who thinks that mentally arduous workouts is like fun. And I've been creating like weekend sort of mental workout challenges. So they're workouts, they're physical workouts, but they're ones that like I know physically I can do, but they're really mentally taxing. So whether it's like a long distance run or last weekend inspired by the military man, we went on like a ruck march. So like heavy packs and walked, which is incredibly painful if anyone's ever done it. But workouts that like you just know are going to be this mental slog, you need to go to a place in your head while you're doing it. And I think it's something that I was really craving because I, I'm not doing super intense workouts at home necessarily. And I'm just sort of missing that kind of mental challenge and that whole kind of feeling in my in my life right now. So I've been like implementing that. And I think that it's, it's important for people to start to build that kind of resilience too. It's like, make that. It, it's make so it awesome fun, you're doing right? that. Yeah. yeah, well, it's fun, but it's also not right. Like, but you so, kind of crave it, right? Like, how do you explain sure. that? Like, you, well, you crave it, not everyone craves it. And yeah. I think there's something to be learned there, right? I was actually talking to someone this morning about this It's like most people in their youth live a very sheltered life in our current society, right? There's no discipline, there's no challenge, there's no obstacle, there's no real opportunity for growth. So you stay in this really narrow comfort zone. It's, you know, the size of a quarter. And every time you go out of it, something stressful brings you outside of that. All of a sudden it's panic time. It's like, oh, I have anxiety. I can't handle this. I can't believe that my life is crumbling. But fuck, you have to intentionally curate making that circle bigger. That's life, right? So every day, most of the days I spend with my children, I'm making them do something that they don't want to do. My kind of acid test is, are they about to cry? And if they are, I'm like, okay, and I'll support them, but we keep going. And not from an abusive place, but like, I want them to realize they can get through it, right? This is not hard. This is just a matter of this is uncomfortable. That's a very important lesson that my kids are learning very progressively. Here's the crazy thing. My kids and I did really long bike rides this weekend for them, really long bike rides. So the first one was two hours, second was two and a half, same day. So by the second one, so after the first one, my daughter was like, we were not even halfway to where we were going, not not even on our way back yet. And she goes, Daddy, I don't think I can go anymore. I go, and I just went, you got it, baby. Let's go. And she just kept going. Not a word came out of her until we got to where we were going. We came all the way back. And when we got home, she goes, Daddy, that was my favorite thing I've ever done in my life. And I was like, oh. so she almost quit. She kept going. She goes, that was the favorite thing I ever did in my life. Got back after the second one, same idea. She goes, Daddy, I can't make it. I go, baby, you got it. Let's go. And I was like, I'll stay right behind you and you'll know you're safe. She came back. She goes, Daddy, that was the second best thing I've ever done in my life. And I was like, all right, this has been a good day. And only because she, you know, she challenged herself. She knew she could succeed, or at least I made sure she knew she could succeed. And she came back, she felt good about herself, right? So she got that dopamine hit. And that's why that her brain automatically goes, holy shit, I didn't know I could do that. And, you know, had she stopped in that moment, she probably would have felt defeated. She probably would have felt weakened rather than empowered. That's the fucking lesson that I want everyone to get that was coming into my head this morning is, man, when it's really, really hard, don't fucking slow down. You go faster. You have to You have to go harder, go deeper into it, right? And most people are going to try to stop and avoid it. Like, oh, I want to stop this and go do something else. Take me out of this discomfort. No, like that's the exact opposite of what needs to happen. So I love that you're building that into your life. It's very, and I build those into every one of my workouts, right? Even in the at-home workouts, there's one day, it's like a challenge day. And I build that in every workout intentionally because there's there's this idea of building your muscles, this idea of building your balls. Ladies, I apologize, ladies, I apologize for that. The got lady balls, it counts. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is, right? It's like whatever that metaphor is, there's something so important to going well beyond what you think you're capable of on a consistent basis. And I'm guilty of it too, man. Life is too fucking easy, right? Mm -hmm. So like I'll intentionally be like, you know, I got to get somewhere that's an hour away. I'm like, all right, taking my bike. Don't That's in my car. I'm like, don't know how long it's going to take my bike. Just don't think about it and go and you'll figure yeah. it out and get there, right? I yeah. think if you think about it, it's just, you're like, oh, I can't do it. 
don't just go keep doing it right that's yeah. the same thing in leg training that's the same thing in any workout like you can go to a point where you're like holy shit i'm uncomfortable and then go okay now i'm going to do 20 more right or now i'm going to do five more sets like you have to go there and if you don't you're going to get weaker you're going to get softer life is going to get harder yeah. this idea of like the only way to overcome this challenge is you just got to dig in man you got to grit your teeth and fucking go. I love this this message from Eddie because he's commenting, and this is what we were just talking about with things like the ruck. The enjoyment is the satisfaction from completing the act. It sucks the whole time. And so this is this is accurate because when you talk to professional athletes, which obviously you've talked to a bunch and I've been able to interview a bunch, most of them, even the best athletes, the most elite athletes, the people who love their sport, often they'll say like the competing part, you know, I'm in like a black hole. Like, I don't know what's going on. I hate it. I'm stressed out. It's the looking back and seeing what you accomplished and knowing that you persevered, even though it sucked. It's not the suck really that you love. It's the like looking back and knowing what you're capable of because you got through it. I know Eddie very well. And Eddie's done, Eddie. Eddie's done things much harder than you or me. Mm-hmm. We get details based on things that are much harder than you or me. So I, I don't know the level of suck that he's experienced. But for me, there's a point, there was a point, there is a point where the suck no longer sucks. It's like, I feel it there, but I change my cognitive association with it, right? I start to think of it differently. I start to think of it as the goal. It's, it's like the idea of why is pain there? Pain isn't there to make you suffer. Pain is there as an opportunity to bring awareness. Like, hey, this is something that's uncomfortable. Okay, is this bad? I can make that conscious assessment. If I can slow down my brainwaves enough to make a conscious assessment, go, am I safe or am I going to die? Because it's like, hey, you need to take, you need to pay attention to this thing. If I'm safe, I can then switch my cognitive association and say, oh, I like this thing. This feels good. I can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper in this. And there were certainly points in my life where I was like, man, once I started to feel that, I, I, I literally said, well, you know, when it sucks, smile. And I would, I would literally, oh my God, this is fucking great. And it almost was like arousing to me. Like I would be like, holy shit, I want more of this. And it becomes addictive. And that's maybe why I became the person I did in bodybuilding. But like I said, he's done things that are way harder than me. So maybe he's gone well past those points of uncomfort that I did or discomfort. But I think I could be wrong, but I think there's an opportunity to shift it, right? Where you're, you're walking through the dark shadows and then you can you come to terms with the fact that the dark shadows are this amazing, powerful force, and you go, thank you, and you keep going, and all of a sudden the sun comes out. Yeah. You see, you know, the metaphor that again, Eddie can probably I'll say see Eddie in the next couple of days. I'm sure he'll let me know if I'm right or wrong. I've got a question. I've got a couple of questions for you about how to maximize muscle building or nutrition for people who don't either eat animal protein or don't weigh or sort of animal-based protein powders. Do you have any thoughts about this? Like these are folks who are maybe eating a vegetarian diet or just can't handle certain animal proteins, but they're saying that they're skinny fat and don't know what to do, but they're following a vegetarian diet. Yeah. Stop following a vegetarian diet. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you Uh, for saying it. No, no. Listen, I get that. There's people actually, I think it may, no, it's not Flavio. There's other people who, who message us who say, hey, you know, I'm a vegan. I'm like, okay, I have no moral or any type of a negative association with veganism. I think it's it's great. And if that's your, your decision, wonderful. I always just suggest to question it, right? Why do you believe this is what you should follow? If it's religious, awesome. If it's moral, mm, okay too. If it's something that you think is healthy for you or for the environment, I think you should question it. I get it. So I'm not going to pass moral judgment on anybody. If you choose to be a vegan, even if it's a vegan experiment, good for you. The place where I think veganism was useful is if I wanted to lose a bunch of muscle. And so I'm still 260 pounds. 
if I wanted to get to 220, the first thing I would do is go vegan. I don't think most people in this group are becoming uh, are losing trying or lose trying to lose 40 yeah. pounds. I don't think so. Yeah. That would be the only place I would. So if you are vegan for reasons that are not changeable or things you just don't want to change, there's a really great product that I love and it's called Master Amino Pattern, M-A-P, Master Amino Pattern. Get it. It's amazing. It's sourced from like beets, I think. And it's one of the best amino acid products that exists in the world for sure. It's not cheap, but it's really good. During my competition days, I would take 10 to 20 grams. Each pill is one gram. I would take 10, seven to 20 grams, depending on my budget at the time, seven to 20 grams, either intra and post typically, right? Sometimes I take them pre. So I like the idea of taking essential aminos pre-workout. Not everyone necessarily agrees with that. But the, the idea is all those aminos have a role. And if I'm lacking something, I want to make sure I have all the essential aminos. So if I was a vegan, I'd probably take 10 to 20 grams pre-workout because I want to make sure that my body has all the substrate it needs to do what it needs to do. And then I'd probably take 20 grams after my workout, right? Intra, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of subjective, but post-workout, pre-workout, two times that I'd add in 10 to 20 grams or seven to 20 grams, depending on your budget of master amino pattern. Okay. Yeah. I think it's worth noting, like you, you said very diplomatically, the idea that, you know, there's no moral judgment on any way that you decide to eat. It's your own decision. I think it's also worth noting other people who are professionals at this have spoke about it ad nauseum, but there are ethical and good for the environment ways to eat both vegetarian and omnivorous if you choose to do that. And then yeah. conversely, there are ways that you can eat both types of diets, including vegan, that is oh. bad for the environment. So and it could be less, right? Like you don't have to eat as much meat as I do, like that it doesn't have to be that. It can be less. So maybe it's you're eating meat two or three times a week and like fine. Maybe you're eating fish. Whatever works for you, do that. And I, I again, I'm not attached to anybody eating anything. If it feels good to you and you feel awesome, awesome. Where I'm attached is to your success and your health. So if you feel like, oh man, I can't build muscle. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm losing muscle. I feel like I'm maybe becoming sarcopenic or something like this. This is a problem. Like we need to change that. And, and so questioning your reasoning, right? And this is, it's funny. Someone sent a message this morning, maybe it was yesterday, saying one of the greatest things that we've done for her, Ash, is changing the way she looks at her life by simply challenging her beliefs. So I don't think I know anything, or at least I, I try to think I don't know anything. I try to challenge everything I think I know. And, and then that's what makes me better. And that's what has allowed me to excel in exercise and go into the gym. And I could, I could very easily go, well, this is how you train chest, or this is how you train back. But I'm always looking for ways to make it objectively and subjectively better and harder. That's the way every human should approach their workouts. Now, I get this reality of, I just want to fucking train. Just give me the fish. And I'm there too sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want my brain to work. I just want to go in and smash. Do that too. But there should be, a, especially if you're an exercise professional or, or a personal trainer, there has to be a huge component of training your conscious thought pattern, your why, understanding everything. You don't know anything, right? And that's the irony of personal training is 95% of personal trainers have passed a weekend course. So to put power and authority in their hands is a very, very challenging thing, I guess, let's say. Mm -hmm. So I think questioning what you're doing, what your trainer is doing, going, is this best for what me? If it doesn't feel good, does it feel like it's challenging me? And always intentionally putting yourself right in, in the face of the fire. So I want to bring something up. This is a little unrelated. There's, there's reasons. You said something a minute ago and this came up. So Brian McKenzie is doing a course this Friday, May 8th. And I have no affiliation with Brian whatsoever. I, I've met him. I know him. I think everyone should take this course. It's called, it's at powerspeedendurance.com, mm -hmm. harnessing the stress molecule. And there's three, it's three part webinar. It's relatively cheap for what he's doing. I think everyone should take that. So I want to give a shout out to Brian and say, thank you for doing this. He's basically teaching you how to control 
carbon dioxide, how to control stress, how to modulate stress. The biggest problem our world is facing right now, stress. Brian is a master. He's bringing on three other masters of managing stress and carbon dioxide. So if you guys want to dive into improving yourself, I highly suggest you go over and do that. And Brian doesn't know I'm doing this. I'm no affiliation. I've just seen him pushing it out on social. He's doing amazing stuff on social lately. So I want to support him because he deserves it. And that's a great website to check out too. We'll put the yeah. interview that you did with Brian previously in the show notes too. Sure. But that website, and it also has tons of free resources and stuff. So everyone should it's check really out good. Yeah. Endurance. I also love what you said though about questioning because I was just having a conversation with a sort of informal business mentor myself. And she was saying that one of the overarching sort of character traits of really good leaders is that they are willing to learn and hear from everyone mm -hmm. at any level below them, around them, above them all the time, just having this sort of attitude that there's always something to learn. And it can get difficult the more successful you get, because when you're being told all the time that you're amazing and everything you do is wonderful, it's very easy to say like, okay, well, I, I think I can stop now. I kind of know what I'm doing. But well, the best still... leaders, they're always asking questions and listening to what people tell them. Yeah, there's definitely some thoughts there as well, right? So the kind of integrity of the resource. So somebody uh, is they're characteristically giving you valuable information that's been vetted and you can you can determine that, then all of a sudden their street cred or their credibility goes up. Someone's always giving you nonsense, their credibility is going to go down. And I think not only we should be aware of that on both ends. Yeah. I often say to people like listen twice as much as you speak. Because sometimes, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, spouting at the mouth. And I'm like, I should have thought about that a little bit deeper or writing something. I'm like, you know, I didn't complete that thought. And people write back, oh, hey man, you said this. And I was like, you're right. That did come across that way. And sometimes you just speak too much or, or don't think through everything you say. And I think that's important to understand. And from a leader's perspective, you absolutely hear everything and you don't know anything, right? So it's funny. I have this amazing client who teaches me as much as I teach him. He does something that's really brilliant is he interviews two people a week for his business, even if he doesn't hire them, because he's like, hey, everyone that comes into my office brings value. They bring perspective. They bring an, uh, something new. And I was like, gosh, that's interesting. So these people, and he has them obviously very highly curated and, and they're, they're high level candidates. But like someone's going to walk in through the door and I'm going to be able to go, this person's amazing. I'm going to hire them. And he said, 99 out of 100, I don't hire, but I get something useful out of every single one. And I was like, that's really interesting, isn't it? So a lot of us live in our own little bubble where people are trying to sell us something or people are trying to market something to us or all of our friends are telling us what we want to hear or they're always bringing the same bullshit perspectives, right? They're bringing the same kind of self-perpetuating, self-reinforcing perspectives. So maybe one of the best things you can do is start bringing outsiders into your life that say, hey, this is what I think. This is how I feel. And you know, I don't have to agree with you, but I can certainly listen and go, okay, well, there's value in that from every perspective, right? So yeah. as a leader, I'm working toward being a great leader or leading my team and my, my life and my tribe. You know, I do my best. Again, the best book that I've read on leadership, and I haven't read that many, to be honest. It's something that I'd like to read more of. Bill Campbell's book, which is Trillion Dollar Coach. The reason I think it's the best is because it perfectly aligns with me. And that's completely biased, but like, I think it's the way he led was brilliant and it's the way I'm working toward leading. I'm not saying I'm there yet. So he was the mentor for Bill Gates, not Bill Gates, Steve Jobs and Eric Schwartz from Google. Passed away now, but uh, Bill Campbell is, if you look him up on Google, YouTube, definitely somebody worth exploring. This idea of a benevolent, I guess I'd say a benevolent dictator maybe, but or someone who could ultimately say anything to you because he knew he loved you. Mm. Right? He could call you on your shit. He could cuss. He could do whatever because you knew at the end of the day, this guy has your best intentions at heart. And that's really hard to do as a human being without being supremely confident. And, and there's a lot to be learned from that book.
Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, you still have to put together that list of all of the best mentorship, business, whatever. I've got, I've got endless lists. Ash. I'll send them to you yeah. so you can, you can put a list together first. People, are, people are eager for it because they want to read. They want to read stuff. So and all my challenge is I get that question every day. Ben, what's your favorite book? What book? <laughs> what yeah. genre? So I study business. I study copywriting. I study leadership. I study the body. I study like everything, you know, the mitochondria and the gut. And like now I'm, I'm doing some, uh, some energy system stuff. I want to understand energy systems and biochemistry at a deeper level. I don't know. There's so many books. And then half of the time, you're like, there's probably 30 books that I don't even remember that were game changers, but doesn't yeah. come front of mind, right? Yeah. So that's why these lists exist now. It's because like, I should write them and then write like three to five big points that I think are useful for what I got from them. I just sent you an email about that today, actually. Because, yeah, I mean, create them in the different categories, right? Because yeah, yeah, I do. I have. people are like, I just posted about this the other day. I usually like to read one book at a time. And since quarantine, I've been reading like sort of three or four kind of concurrently because when I change my moods and, you know, but I'm always reading like one educational thing in the industry that I work in, one kind of classic, whether it's sort of philosophy or just a classic story, one fiction because it's fun and I think it makes your brain work in different ways. But it goes back to what you were saying about sort of variety and not sticking to your own tiny yeah. bubble. If you only read the same things from the same people all the time, you're only going to get the same ideas, right? So it just makes sense to kind of keep broadening. So the way I read is I read business in the morning and I read esoteric, stoic stuff or you know, self-development stuff before bed. So mm -hmm. just, you know, I'm curating my brain. And this is, again, another really important point that I love to talk about. And I think I touched on it briefly last week, but this idea of thinking about your thinking, right? So right now, in this exact moment, I have the opportunity to change who I am going forward. If I want to be somebody new in 10 years, if I want to be somebody new in six months, I have to be super aware of how I think. I have to be super aware of what I think and then realizing your emotions cause thoughts. Your emotions cause actions, and those eventually becomes your habits. So my thoughts and emotions cause actions, which become habits. And then, so, okay, how do I then curate my thoughts that lead down habits? And, and I can reverse engineer that, and I can intentionally curate habits, will, which will then curate my thoughts. But if I'm someone right now who doesn't like the way that I think, so if I'm like, hey, you know, I have these negative thoughts, you have to start creating habits around thinking and realize the person that you were prior to now is not the person that you are right now. So you have the opportunity to change like that. It's not ingrained. You know, will it still be part of your nervous system? For a time being, it will, but we can start to change it. But you got to identify, not what you don't want. This is the biggest problem people make, and myself included sometimes, is I don't want to do this, right? I want to stop saying negative things in my head. I want to stop saying you know, anything, or I want to stop doing any activity does not work. So again, hopefully you guys start to have some processes around, okay, great. I identify this negative, take note of it, let go of it. What is the actual thing that I need to replace it with that will make the greatest shift for me? And and one of my favorite people to listen to on this stuff, if you guys, I don't know if you've told you about this guy before, but actually yes, I have, because we had him booked as a guest on the show and, and he had some issues. Jim Fortin, mm. you guys want to explore a really, really brilliant man and his ability to articulate how to change your mind. Jim Fortin, F-O-R-T-I-N, has a podcast. I think it's just called the Jim Fortin Podcast. I couldn't recommend it more. Now, I read a lot of stuff and I listen to a lot of stuff and this is not the same. This guy has a very unique ability to articulate things in a really simple and applicable way. So most people go, I know all that stuff. No, you don't. <laughs> I promise. This guy is amazing and everyone I send over to him is very grateful for that. And again, no affiliation. I just think Jim is, is somebody who can change your life, change your perspective, and he's doing a really good job simplifying his message. We've got a question here that I'm going to bring up. 
about blood flow restriction bands. I think we've talked about this in the past, but Flavio is saying he has some and he's not sure how, like, how to know when you're applying the right pressure. Is that something sure. that you work with much? Blood flow? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I think it's actually really, really useful. So someone was talking to me about this last week. So I have a, I have a machine in the gym called the New Fit. And everyone in the world loves this thing. You so, like it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I well, want one. You want one? Expensive, but yeah. Yeah. They're they're very expensive. It was like 18 grand. Uh, Everyone goes, Ben, you have this in your gym. Why don't you use it every day? Well, I know what the objective of the new fit is. So me being an exercise professional, my target is thinking my way through how can I generate the same result without having to have it done to me. So this idea of entrainment, right? So a really popular thing right now is binaural beats. So I could put myself into a delta state or a theta state or maybe even a gamma state using binaural beats, which is just these kind of oscillating frequencies that are sent through your ears into your brain that can set your brain into this very particular frequency that's said to have certain benefits. So like if I want, if I go into delta, maybe while I'm meditating or sleeping, maybe I can get deeper sleep. This is deep wave sleep. And if I go into gamma while I'm trying to study or think or learn, maybe I can have these breakthrough thoughts. Well, so there's something being done to me, right? This idea of entrainment. I'm more a, I like the idea of experiencing it and going, okay, I see what that feels like. Now let's take this away and go create it, right? So it's kind of like, hey, I want to squat 500 pounds. Okay, well, go put 500 pounds on your back, see what it feels like, and then work toward it. It's not maybe the best metaphor, but I don't like the idea of having things done to me. So with respect to the new fit, even the BFR bands, I think there's absolutely utility. If someone's in a, in a rush, if someone has an injury, if you want to increase the frequency of your training, if you want to grow a weak body part, massive benefit. I'm just trying to do what it does without having to use anything. I don't want to be dependent on anything. So here's the long and short of it. I'll answer this question. BFR bands absolutely work. You will do very simple protocols with probably 30% of your max weight. And you'll typically do, I mean, this is this is an old protocol. It may have evolved since then, but you typically do four sets. First one's 20 reps. Rest 15 seconds. I think so. Do another 15 reps. Rest 15 seconds. Rest do 15 reps. Rest 15 seconds. 15 reps to end. So you're doing four total incremental drops, or three drops for four total sets all with the bands on, your pump is is crazy and you're getting, you know, your ability to use 30% of your weight is really, really poor. The objective there is you're going to send more blood in through the arteries because the arteries are deeper and restrict the venous blood flow out. And then all this blood's going to get trapped there. The body starts building up CO2, obviously, because you're not letting the toxins out. And the body is said to start upregulating the recruitment of fast twitch motor units, fast twitch muscle fibers, which can potentially grow a muscle and build a muscle more with less load. That's very useful for people who are elderly, very useful for people who have injuries. I think there's huge utility there. So I highly suggest it. And Flavio's specific question is, how do I know what's the right pressure? This is very subjective. And and if you want to do it right, Flavio, get yourself a katsu. K-A-A-T-S-U, Katsu, which is actually like a metered band and it's expensive. It's like 800 bucks. If you just want to use like a normal band, the suggestion is seven to eight maximum perceived tension out of 10. And now here's the caveat. The bigger the limb, the more tension you need. The smaller the limb, the less tension you need. So if it's on an arm, I usually go like six out of 10. If it's a leg, I may go closer to like nine out of 10 because you realize when the limb is bigger, you've got way more arterial and venous blood deeper. 
So you're never really going to fully occlude the limb, right? You may restrict the blood flow in and out. So occlusion is like the complete blocking of the blood. It's never going to happen when you got a huge quad or a big muscle. If you have a small muscle, it's more likely. So I usually back off a little bit. So my answer, Flavio, is if it's a small limb, six out of 10, and it's completely subjective. How does this feel to you? And then with a bigger limb, you can go as much as nine out of 10. You could almost try to go complete occlusion. Like if you tried to completely occlude my leg, you would never do it. I'd have to leave it on for days before we completely include the blood flow, right? Because there's so much tissue. So that's a thought for you, Flavio, and how you do it. And it only really works on arms and legs. Okay, next question. Ben, I saw your post about the effectiveness of slowly losing weight and keeping your protein up. What percentage of calories would you recommend cutting per week in order to keep the most amount of muscle and not mess up your metabolism? Zero. Here's how I would approach this. And here's how I approach this with everybody. When you start a transformation with me, typically the last thing I'm going to touch is your diet. And I'll I'll asterisk that. I'm not going to try to adjust your calories. I want you to eat almost intuitively. And I want to see where you land. So let's say this is a man, he's eating 3,000 calories a day and I don't adjust anything. I want him to stay there. And let's see what his body does. If he's staying there, not gaining any fat at 3,000 calories, and you're eating all good, healthy, non-inflammatory foods, my objective is, I know, okay, this is about where your BMR lives. Let's try to make this about consistent. And then what I'm going to do, if you want to start losing fat, is I'm going to slowly start increasing the workload. And that can be done with more volume in your workouts. That can be done with more density in your workouts. That can be done even with more frequency in your workouts, a little bit of cardiovascular activity, things like this. So instead of decreasing the recovery, and this is the way we look at this, right? We have a stimulus and we have an adaptation. So you can't see my hands. Stimulus, adaptation. Exercise is the stimulus. I want to create good amounts, significant amounts of stimulus. And then adaptation is all those other parasympathetic things we do, which is food and and, and meditation and yoga and sunshine and sleep. All these things are these adaptations, right? Those how we adapt. So if I take away your ability to adapt, I'm then going to limit your ability to stimulate, right? So the last thing I want to do in a transformation, especially if a physique is your goal, is take away calories. So I'll get to what you're what you're looking for in a minute. But so I'm really focused on, I want you to just kind of stabilize your calories, level them out where you feel good about this and satiate it. Like, I don't want you to be hungry. I want you to be, this. I feel good, right? This is where I want to be. And try to kind of stabilize that and level it off and make it consistent. And then I'm going to start slowly increasing the amount of work you can do. This is what everybody does wrong. Nobody intentionally realizes that the reason I eat is to support performance, right? I want to support recovery, obviously basic metabolic function. And then I want to support performance. And most people do the opposite. Most people, they'll build a diet first and go, well, what can I do in the workout that will allow me to burn some fat? No, you build the ideal workout first. This is what you need to do. And this is how we're going to progress it. And then you, you adjust the diet around that. So most people will start burning fat significantly by doing that, right? So I don't need to change your diet. I don't need to change it at all. I, I may just increase, ascend your work, your volume. And that could be done, as I said, through training. That could be done through cardio. That could just be done through non-exercise attributed thermogenesis, which is this, this idea of movement. Like, what do I do during the day? Standing here, moving my hands rather than sitting like this. So I think the last lever we pull is pulling your calories down. So we want to change habits and we want to change work output, right? So realize you always have two levers, right? You have input, which is calories in, and you have output, which is movement. So I always go like, let's stabilize this input because I want to make sure you have what you need to sustain recovery, growth, adaptation, and ultimately performance. And then we manipulate the training lever as much as we can, as long as we can, until we get to this idea of like, okay, I feel like that's about as much as I can sustain time-wise or recovery-wise. And then we try to level that off. 
and then we may fluctuate it, we may undulate it. And then once that work capacity is higher, then we can start pulling the calories down. And then it comes to your question of, okay, well, how much do I pull the calories down? The answer is I always try to base it off heart rate variability, right? So if my, and again, that's really my belief is heart rate variability is a really good indication of what's happening in my body. And because performance is my primary objective, if my HRV is low, I know my body isn't recovering really well. There's a whole bunch of other stuff I can do to help my body improve HRV. But if my HRV is in the tank, the worst thing I could possibly do is decrease my calories, right? So be hyper aware of this reality that if you're not measuring HRV, grab an aura ring, which I'm showing you in the picture right now. Grab an aura ring, measure your HRV, see where it is, and don't compare against anybody else. People say, what's a good HRV? Doesn't matter. What's yours? And is it up or is it down? And if it's low, okay, well, we need to, to implement some parasympathetic activities. You'll burn so much more fat if you have a higher HRV than you will if it's low. I guarantee that. So think that through. Now, there's some subjectivity there because higher HRV means more sympathetic arousal, which means more stress ultimately. And acutely, that's the best way to burn calories, right? More stress means more cortisol, means more activity internally. If that's an acute thing, that's really useful for burning calories. If it's chronic, meaning it happens all the time, it's almost going to destroy your progress, right? So that's, this is the difference between acute stress and acute really... Uh, pushing training and pushing stress in your life versus doing it all the time. And this is what people just miss. Like I want to put you in a huge amount of sympathetic arousal sometimes, but I don't want to do it all the time. So if you're someone who has chronically low HRV, going on a low calorie diet or a low carb diet is a terrible idea. Get your HRV up to as high as we reasonably can. And then you can start looking at going into states of, of a calorically depleted state. Because realize that lacking calories is a stress, right? That's a stress. So I don't want to be in a deficit. So we've got a bunch of other questions up, to, up top there, Ash. I don't want to pass those. First of all, I just want to say that I think that's a really good meathead pickup line you just said. I want to put you in sympathetic arousal. Everyone should write that one down and use it on their Tinder account. I like that a lot. Um, I sure. I, you said it, but I, I think that's fantastic. Um, like okay, so we're going to answer a couple more HRV questions, and then we do have to jump off in the next five or 10 minutes. I'll save the rest of them, but let's just keep going on this HRV topic that you got into here. Steve is asking, what are the three biggest issues that could drive HRV? HRV down? Poor sleep is probably the biggest one. Poor breathing is probably another one. Psychological stress is probably the biggest one. Inflammation, gut health, those are probably your, your primary ones, man. Poor food choices will drive HRV down. Overtraining will drive HRV down. That's a good question though, Steve. Those, those are all the major ones. So if you're not sleeping well, you're not getting enough deep and, and REM sleep, you're going to have shitty HRV. If you're psychologically stressed chronically, you're going to have shitty HRV. Bad food, drive it down. Alcohol will drive it down. Yeah. All, all those things. health lifestyle factors you're talking about all the time. If those yeah. are in case or Honestly, e even, even as far as artificial light, like being inside all the time will absolutely crush your HRV. If you go outside, you'll notice a huge bump in HRV. I try to spend one to two hours outside every afternoon with my kids, you know, by the pool or wherever it happens to be. It's unbelievable how much different I feel. My body uses nutrients way better. Like my body composition changes like that just from going outside for one to two hours a day. I don't even have to move. I can lay by the pool my body composition changes. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. This Facebook user is asking how long of using the aura ring to until you see like accuracy in the HRV. Do you know just from your experience in using it? Don't, but I would say give it at least two to three weeks. Yeah, I would say it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of time. So it can, the algorithm can kind of adjust to you. But I honestly, yeah, probably two to three weeks. And I would just do it consistently and just watch for trends, right? Watch for trends. And if, if something looks out of whack, send them a message. They're very good. They have a very good support team. Now I will say, I don't know what the data is today. 
15. My aura ring code only lasts until the 15th. They're stopping all codes. So if anybody wants to pick one up, you're thinking about it, the code will save you 50 bucks. So it's, it's worth on it. Website too. It's on the blog site. You've got a page up there with all your offers. Yeah. There. So unfortunately, it's going away, but it will save you 50 bucks. So rather than being 300, it would be 250. If you guys want to do it, it's uh, auraring.com slash partners slash muscle intelligence or check out the uh, Muscle Intelligence page. As Ash says, there's a blog there. You can search that with all of our partner discounts. We have some awesome partners. And you guys, again, just going down that path, the reason we have all these, these partners and sponsors of the podcast is because we intentionally chose them, right? It's not like these are people who approached us and goes, hey, can we sponsor your podcast? I literally reached out and said, hey, I use your product every day. I love this. Can we create some agreement for our, our listeners, especially during this Corona time? That's why this is. And you guys see on my Instagram, like this is the stuff I eat every day. This is the stuff I consume. This is what I use. I'm super grateful for these people being our sponsors. You know, one that I want to shout out that I think everyone should jump on is Billings. I don't even know if they're the sponsor of today's podcast. They are actually. Billings, <laughs> yes. Billings is awesome. So John reached out to me, reached back to me. So I reached out to him probably nine months ago. And I said, man, I just ordered some of your fish. It's amazing. Can you send us this stuff on a regular basis in Florida? And he goes, well, no, I don't quite do it yet, but maybe by the spring I'll have it up and running because I'm working on it. I was like, okay, awesome. And it just so happens he reached back out to me in like February. He goes, hey man, I finally got this site going. Thanks so much for the idea. And I was the one who asked him to do a curated box. And uh, hey man, we're going to do this monthly. And this box is the highest quality fish. It's so like so good. And I have a friend actually who just ordered fish online and she's like, listen, it sucked. And I was like, well, why didn't the hell didn't you order from Billings? It's like, I don't know. I just saw it on my Instagram popped up and I ordered it. And I was like, well, listen, man, it matters where it comes from. Like Billings is so good. So, so good. Like the highest quality fish and give them a shout out because it's awesome. And they're not even, I think their um, URL is wildalaskanseafoodbox.com. Um, and I just I think it's just the code Ben that will get you $20 off. And uh, again, that's not supposed to be in this part of the episode, but it's a very useful time to plug in. Ash, if you got a bounce, I'll continue answering these questions because I want to make sure we talk to, to all these people who have graciously joined us here in the Muscle Intelligence Facebook group as we record live. Now, I we're do, do want to add, add something about Okay. Yeah, we're also going to be recording live on YouTube for anybody that wants to watch us and see Ashley's awesome pigtails and her meathead sweatshirt. But wait, I wanted to add a funny story about Billings because when I was speaking with John and trying to get a bit more information about the company and why they're so great, and he's talking about how they're in Alaska and they have all their fish sourced sustainably from there and I was and how he's a fisherman and he's got this whole background. And I was telling him that one of my favorite shows used to be, it's over now, but one of my favorite shows used to be The Deadliest Catch. I know mm-hmm. some people watching this have watched that show. It's like one of the first reality shows about like, weird, crazy jobs. And there have been so many like copycat shows since and none of them are as good. And right. for whatever reason, this is like a glimpse into my weird psyche. That show was so calming to me. It put me to sleep. Like something about the like terror and like crazy dangerousness of that job. And they're like on the deep, dark ocean and fallen overboard. It was freezing cold. I don't know what it was, but it was very calming to me anyway. And I asked John, and I asked John if he knew this, like if he knew about that industry, if he, and he said that he'd been on a crab fishing boat before because it's an incredibly hard and dangerous job yeah. to get us our, our food that we don't even think about. But it's, it's, it was really cool kind of learning a bit more about the history of the company because these guys are like legit, like they really live what they preach and the stuff is as legit as it comes. So anyway, deadliest catch. Yeah. One day I may be moving to Alaska. That's one place I'd love to go. I don't know that I like, I've never really fished, but I just love the idea of being in places where it's untouched by 
humanity, right? That's some very intense wilderness, I'll say. Uh, I love that, man. Like I, I want so my, one of my favorite places to go right now is um, Victoria, Canada, Victoria Island, just because it's the most untouched or the least touched by humans. It's just unbelievable. It feels like I did a master's degree there in Victoria, Royal Roads. Really? You, yeah. How many yeah. years? I believe it was two years. I was doing it half remotely when I was living in New York and I'd go out there for like a one month kind of condensed thing. But Royal Roads, it's an old military college and it's a castle. The campus is like the most fantastically beautiful campus in the world. There's just like bunnies and deer everywhere, like coming up to you. And yeah, it was fantastic. Beautiful place. I'm definitely an old soul who values this ancestral life, right? Like, I don't know that I love my modern day luxuries. Don't get me wrong. Like I love to be able to order a thousand pounds of, or a thousand dollars of meat from Belcampo every month. But I also love the idea of going out there where it's just untouched and there's nobody around and it's beautiful trees and oceans. Unbelievable. Last question, guys, before I roll out of here. Thoughts on training heavy in the morning and volume in the evening on the same muscle group. Man, I did it for years, neurological in the morning. You only need about four hours between workouts. I tried to get two meals in an app, professional bodybuilder. I'd eat as soon as I was done. I'd have liquid carbs or liquid food, and then I'd eat a small meal. And then two hours later, I'd eat another meal back to the gym. It worked really well. You have to be hyper aware with how much volume you're doing in the morning workout. So the morning workout for me, sort of the lights shining my eyes. Morning workout for me was very low volume, super heavy, like trying to get very, very neurological. And I would be very conscious of doing things that ensured spinal stability and shoulder stability and pelvic stability. So it's really a training your trunk and spine. And the afternoon you come back and you do that muscle group. All right, boys and girls, you are absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for your time. We still got a huge number of people in here, a good number of people in here watching this podcast. And if you guys enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate a follow and uh, subscribe to the podcast because that's what keeps us going. So we've got so many people that listen to the podcast, but I want to make sure you guys are all subscribed. Head over there now. We're going to do regular giveaways. You can do that on, I think it's now called Apple Podcasts rather than iTunes. I could be wrong, but iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it, go over there and subscribe so you know as soon as they come out. They come out every Monday and Thursday. So typically Ash and I release either the Q&A on Monday and then the guest interview on Thursday. Sometimes that flip-flops. Usually it's that way, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you guys all the time with your amazing reviews. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe because we love you. Share with at least one person you know and love if you think they will benefit. Guys, this podcast is brought to you by Billings, Billings Seafood, otherwise known as wildalaskanseafoodbox.com. And the code Ben will get you $20 off your first order and free scallops for life, which is awesome. They need to give you a eight ounce bag, or maybe it's bigger than that, of scallops. And their food quality is amazing. I can't recommend it enough. Hope you guys have an amazing day. And thank you again for joining in to this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.